What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. And today is another edition of the Monday Mailbag, an episode chock full of user-submitted questions answered by me. If you want to get in on the action, there's two ways to do it. It's actually one way, but at two different times. I call for questions every Monday morning, West Coast time, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. I say, I need some questions. You can respond to that tweet, and I'll answer them right here on the show. But you don't have to wait for Monday mornings. If you've got a burning Blazers or NBA question that you think of during the week, just send it to me on Twitter, at Mike G. Rich, and I'll answer it there. Pretty much every single one that gets submitted, I answer. Probably in the 95-plus percent range. So if you want to hear me read your Twitter handle on this very podcast... That's how you do it. All right, let's get started. This first question comes from Jeff Workman at JWKS on Twitter who asks, True or false, the Blazers need to trade Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore before the deadline as a means to build their roster for next year due to limited cap space this summer. Is there any benefit to letting their deals expire this summer? Okay, the benefit in theory to letting their deals expire is that the Blazers could come away with about as much as $18 million in cap space. So if you're under the belief that the Blazers should would be better off spending $18 million on either one player or a couple mid-range type players this summer, that's your benefit. I don't think the summer of 2020 uh, free agency class is particularly strong. So for me, that doesn't seem like a huge win. So I'm going to say true to answer your first question. The Blazers do need to trade one and probably both Whiteside or Bazemore in order to get better in the long term. A lot of people ask about trading Hassan Whiteside. That seems to be the theme of this week's questions. So I'll get more specific on that later. But in general, I don't think the Blazers have been successful enough in free agency over, say, the first 50 years of their franchise or have the type of money, they can't get to the type of money that would be appealing to high-level free agents. I think adding through trades is their best avenue to get better. You might argue that that's the draft, and that would be the reason why you wouldn't make trades, is because you would have to likely give up first-round draft picks. So if you're someone who's enamored with a certain college basketball player over the next one or two seasons, or a certain amateur basketball player, let's say, over the next one or two seasons, maybe you don't want to see a trade because they'd hold on to those assets. But otherwise, I think that's the best way to get better now. Okay, this next question comes from Jack, at Jack Parshall on Twitter, who asks, Do you think Whiteside has trade value other than his expiring contract? Granted, his play recently has been just in time for the holiday stat-stocking stuffer. Or do you think his reputation will drag down his value? Hassan Whiteside's trade value is a particularly fascinating question, isn't it? It's kind of the, maybe the crux of the rest of the year for the Blazers in some ways is, If they feel compelled to move Hassan Whiteside, and believe me, I think they do. I think they are going to aggressively look into the market for Hassan Whiteside. But when they are making those calls, when they are being aggressive on the market, what does a player making his kind of money and with his ability get you on the market? I think Eric Griffith over at Blazers Edge wrote an interesting article kind of valuing the Blazers trade pieces. And I believe he called Hassan Whiteside a neutral trade chip. And I would have to agree with Eric's assessment. 
I don't think you have to attach a first-round pick necessarily to Hassan Whiteside going out because he's making so much money north of $27 million. The player you're bringing back is going to be very well paid. There might be teams around the league that would like to get out from under that type of contract. Maybe the Bulls think Otto Porter's injury history is such that if they could just get off his money for next year and not have to pay him $28 million when he inevitably picks up that player option, maybe having Hassan Whiteside on the roster for a few months to get out from under that money is valuable. Same with potentially Kevin Love, although I, I, don't, I don't read that as such with Love at all. But in general, I think the league has an opinion of Hassan Whiteside. And I don't think even his play recently changes that opinion too much. The Blazers are still a below-average defensive team. There are nights when the Blazers play bad defense and Hassan Whiteside has good defensive numbers. I would argue that's exactly what happened against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Hassan Whiteside had a seemingly dominant seven-block performance, but the Wolves were able to score pretty well and stay in the game. So, to me, I don't think people are... There's not going to be teams banging down the door to get Hassan Whiteside. It's not just his sort of um, strange legend-in-the-box score but not on the basketball court type of reputation. It's that I don't think there is just a huge glut of teams in the NBA that need a traditional center. Now, there are good teams that are big. Philly's big. Milwaukee's big. The Lakers are extremely big. So it's not like everyone's trying to go downsize to play against the Warriors like they were in the past. But I just think there's fewer teams that feel the need to get a traditional center and pay them, at least in the short term, max money. I I just don't think there's a lot of value around the league in that. This next question comes from Berlacious M. Excuse me, Berlacious M. At Berlacious underscore M on Twitter who asks, Whiteside is the main topic of conversation lately. You're telling me, Berlacious. As a fan of his, I'm curious as to what your take is on the two-headed Nurk Whiteside center monster in the playoffs. And if signing Whiteside as an unrestricted free agent this summer is even a possibility. I would say there is zero chance. I'll, I'll give it half a percent chance. I think zero is maybe a non-zero chance, but not a high one, that the Blazers re-sign Hassan Whiteside this summer. It would be a stunning turn of events considering that the team has commitments to Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic and wants those guys to play together. And I'm not sure Hassan Whiteside would be interested in coming off the bench. And he certainly would if you assume those two are healthy. He would be their third best big man. And the idea of them playing together, while I like that 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 fans are into that idea, me, your podcast host, hates the idea of Hassan Whiteside and Yusuf Nurkic playing together. Hassan Whiteside's biggest weakness as a defender is covering guys in space, running around and chasing people and making smart smart plays, smart reads on, on the move. Where he's best is when he can anchor himself in the paint, have guys come right at him and use his length to deter them, either as a weak side shot blocker, kind of just laying in wait, or just straight up on the pick and roll. It says, come at me, I'm gigantic. Yusuf Nurkic, for all of his deft footwork, doesn't guard in space well either. And, and as much as I just highlighted that there are big contender-type teams in the league... I still think you need to be able to guard in space in, in the NBA. And having two guys who are traditional centers, centers share the court, while it is intriguing for being gigantic, I look at it as a terrible idea. Straight up. Okay, next question come from, 
comes from It's Tony T at Anthony Tonkin on Twitter, who asks, with Neil saying he's going to stay disciplined and already has his starting five peg for next year, what are the options out there for trading Whiteside and his expiring salary? Okay, so this is, we've touched on this a couple times, but to quickly review, Neil Olshay said in our interview with Jason Quick of The Athletic that next year's team would start Damon Lord, CJ McCollum, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Yusuf Nurkic. He's, so that's kind of his core. None of those guys are deemed tradable. So he's going to try to upgrade using other parts of the roster. I would say add Anthony Simons to that list for very unlikely to be traded. So what are the options out there for Zon Whiteside? I'll just give you the obvious ones, Tony. Tony T. Kevin Love is an obvious one. I think Blake Griffin is an option. I think LaMarcus Aldridge is an option because you need someone who's making in the high $20 million type salary a year in order to match those salaries. And then you're going to have to add on some sweeteners. If you're taking back a player that's better than Hassan Whiteside or maybe more desirable than Hassan Whiteside, you're going to have to give up something. So you're going to have to, and since the Blazers don't want to give up young picks or young players, it's got to be picks. So I think those are your big headliners. Uh, making other trades is a little more difficult for the Blazers be- with Whiteside because his salary is so big and they're above the salary cap, which means they got to match, match money coming in and going out. All right, second segment, coming back, answering more of your questions. But first, I want to tell you guys about Casper. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. And you can get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NBA and using locked NBA, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-N-B-A at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Also, if you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all their offers from the Locked On Podcast Network at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. All right, still Mailbag Monday. Let's keep it rolling. This next question comes from Edmund Dantes at Roger24492979, who asks, Salary cap. Can't keep Mallow or Whiteside and this roster is still unbalanced. Is a salary dump, i.e. a trade coming? Uh, Edmund, why can't they keep them both? They're already on the roster. Uh, they can re-sign Hassan Whiteside if they want. While I think it's difficult to re-sign Carmelo Anthony unless he agrees to play for the minimum again. Additionally, the way the league rules work, you can't trade Melo, so he's on the team till the end of the summer anyways. But yeah, I don't think the, the Blazers do have an incredibly unbalanced roster. But there is no salary dump coming. The Blazers insist both publicly and privately that they do not care about the luxury tax. Although they've done some things to be to get a little bit cheaper. So I don't totally believe that when they say that. They, in general, don't have a ton of fear, it seems like, of paying the luxury tax. They're willing to pay what it takes. Or at least to an extent, they're willing to be one of the most expensive teams in the league. Currently sporting the most expensive roster in the league. So while I think a trade is imminent, and I do agree that the roster is totally unbalanced, there is no financial panic coming. And there's not, the Blazers are not going to dump, um, they're not going to try to tag assets to Hassan Whiteside's deal and get immediately cheaper. They have a route to just naturally be a non-tax team next summer for one brief season. They don't need to panic now. Next question comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter who asks, 
You previously mentioned Andre Drummond as a name that may be in the Blazers trade rumors. How realistic is that trade? Slash, what would that trade look like? Given his similar strengths and weaknesses to Whiteside, is that more of a testament to Drummond's perceived future trade value compared to Hassan? Um, Andre Drummond's just way better than Hassan Whiteside, first of all. So that's, um, while he certainly has his weaknesses, uh, he's he's just a better player than, than Hassan Whiteside. Uh, f- what it would look like is... Pro- it, the reason that the Pistons would trade Andre Drummond is the same reason that they would... I mentioned it in, in that if they were willing to trade Blake Griffin, it might mean they're willing to trade Andre Drummond. It might mean that they kind of see themselves as, we've tried to build this roster a bunch. We're basically just somewhere between the seventh and ninth best team in the Eastern Conference. That's no place to be. Let's We tried it with this core. Let's tear it down, start over, get picks, get young, and, and, and give us you know three, four years to try to cycle back. Not 100% sure that Detroit will get there this season, but if they did, it would look like Hassan Whiteside plus probably multiple first-round picks in order to acquire a player like Drummond. Andre Drummond has a $28 million player option for next season, and why I say he's much better than Hassan Whiteside is one, because I've watched him play, and two, he's averaging 17, 16, two assists, two steals, and a block. Uh, If Hassan Whiteside is a legend in the box score, he shares that space with Andre Drummond. I don't know how realistic that trade is, really, but I think there's a point where Detroit could get there, and Drummond is a type of player the Blazers could could chase because he fits the bill of someone Neil Olshay liked in the past. Okay, this next question comes from number one Blazers cat dad at Blazers Gitter Dunn on Twitter, who asks, who are the non-Kevin Love, Danilo Gallinari, and Blake Griffin trade targets, or possible trade targets? What disgruntled star are teams possibly looking to move? Feels like the all-star shuffle is over and players are where they want to be for the most part. I think that last point is uh, is really key. About 45% of the, of the NBA changed rosters last season. That's truly wild. Um, also, a timing thing. A lot of a lot of guys got paid in the summer of 2016, and a lot of deals expired last summer. But I don't know if there are a lot of stars, disgruntled stars. There's no Jimmy Butler this year who's who's angling for his way out. Uh, Kawhi Leonard made his move. Anthony Davis, after a whole year of being disgruntled and holding a team hostage, got where he wanted to be. Paul George moved. Russell Westbrook moved. So if you're looking for true stars that are kind of maybe could be on the move in that top tier, it's probably Chris Paul. And among your Kevin Love, Danilo Gallinari, Blake Griffin trade targets, let's just pretend you also said LaMarcus Aldridge in there. So let me give you some other players that I think are sort of a at, at least one tier, if not several tiers below that could be on the move. DeMar DeRozan. I could see the Spurs just giving up on the DeRozan-Aldridge pairing and saying, we'll figure out what we have with our young players. New York's Marcus Morris, who's uh, lighting it up from three and is on a team that is bad and has a lot of players who play his position. Uh, and he, he definitely could be on the move. Taj Gibson, same thing, except that he's not nearly as good as Marcus Morris. Uh, but he's the type of veteran who could conceivably help the Blazers. Thaddeus Young in Chicago, um, a veteran on a bad team who is behind some young players in the rotation. Uh, Thad's best days are behind him, but at his 
peak. He was one of the most underappreciated players in the NBA. I'd add Marvin Williams to the list, a veteran who's been in Charlotte a long time. But uh, the Hornets are in the midst of a youth movement. And if you have Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington on your roster, uh, Marvin Williams becomes expendable, not just because of his skill set and age, but because other dudes need to play. Other name I'd add is Alec Burks in Golden State. Uh, a veteran wing scorer who has some real limitations. Um, he's kind of a score-only type guy that's not great at scoring. But he could be on the move if the Warriors um, decide to try to dump some uh, guys in their roster and load up for next season. And the last name I'd add to the list is San Antonio's Rudy Gay. He's a little bit older than the Spurs' young core, obviously. Uh, if they decide... he. He's pretty good. I mean, Rudy Gay's pretty good. He's he's um, he's turned into a much more efficient scorer than he was in his younger days. He's not the crazy athlete that he was when he came into the league, but he's still a very solid uh, borderline starter, backup power forward type, type that can go get buckets. Those are not very sexy names, but I think if you are considering where the Blazers might go in the bargain department, everyone other than DeMar DeRozan on the list probably fits that description. Okay, next question from Logan Gillis, who asks, at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who asks, What are your thoughts on the limited sample size of lineups featuring both Scalabissier and Hassan Whiteside? Will we see more of this? Yeah, we're going to see more of it because the Blazers don't have very good power forward options. Um, Carmelo Anthony is by far their best power forward. Nazir Little has kind of dealt with back spasms and maybe been demoted in the rotation a little bit. And Anthony Tolliver, who's maybe taken those minutes from Nazir Little or maybe is just playing there because Nazir ba- Nazir's back issues are more serious than he and the Blazers are letting on, isn't very good. Tolliver's not a very good option. So we're going to see more of Scal and Hassan because the Blazers, that's just one of the, the weird choices that Terry Sotts is, gets to make with this roster. But yeah, it's been a limited sample size. In 41 minutes... They have a 131 offensive rating together, a 112.8 defensive rating together for a plus 18.5 net rating. Here's the thing. That would be the worst defense in the NBA and the best offense in the NBA. That team is scoring, but not stopping anyone. Importantly, for the offensive rating thing, 38 of those minutes have come with Damian Lillard on the floor. So, So those two guys are playing with the Blazers' best players. I think it's important to note that he that Stotts has chosen to keep that group those or that pairing usually with Dame because they probably need a little support they need a, a dominant they need the Blazers best player on there to uh continue to orchestrate that offense um my thoughts on it are it's fine um I think it's it's worth trying um it's not a long-term solution and Scal uh He's he's had some tough matchups out there with it. It's not a it's not an easy thing for him to do. He's a center. He's just a true center. He's skinny, not a great rebounder or defender, but he's much more of a five than a four. Okay, this next question comes another one from Edmund Dantes. Not going to read your handle again. You already heard it once. Who asks? How's Nurk, Nurk's recovery going? What about Zach Collins? Is the timetable to full recovery the end of this year? Listen, I, I've kind of answered this uh, pod posted last week I did a whole segment on Yusuf Nurkic but I'll give it to you again baby um Nurk worked out in front of the media in uh in Phoenix the Blazers would not have let him do a public workout unless they were uh feeling comfortable with where he is that said they are still very mum on when he might return Yusuf Nurkic himself 
won't put a timeline on when he might return. The Blazers have said February. I've heard conflicting reports, depending on who I've asked, from people who are optimistic that that could mean early February and others who think that's the end of February. But I think Nurk comes back this season during that special month, sometime during February. I think we will see use of Nurkic on the floor. Collins, I am less than... Less, I'm less optimistic about him playing again this season. He is going to be reevaluated in in mid March or like the first or second week of March. That's the plan. Teams, the team plans to reevaluate him. That doesn't mean return to the floor. That means they're monitoring him all the time. He gets reevaluated daily. So, but they'll do a. That means they'll make a formal announcement about what their plan is with him in March. Not that he will be back. So while I've talked to Zach, he's doing he's doing rehab stuff and working out to the point that he can. Um, he was he had just come off the treadmill when I saw him the other day in uh, in the locker room. I'm not sure he's running full speed, but he's doing he's doing some stuff. But he's still really limited. He's out of the sling, but March at at least March until we hear an update on on Colin. So I'm not sure he plays again this season. All right, we're come back in the third segment. Answer the rest of your questions. All right, still Mailbag Monday. Still past first point guard. The still Lockdown Blazers. I'm Mike Richmond. Let's close it out with more of your questions. This one comes from Hote Kim at Hote Kim 97. Might be, I might be saying your name wrong, Kim. I apologize. But the question is, what do you think the Blazers' record would have been if they retained all of their players from last season, excluding Cantor, Steph Curry, and maybe Jake Lehman? Okay, so parsing this, I think what you mean is if they don't do the Hassan Whiteside trade and they still have Mo Harkless and Myers Leonard on the roster, and if they re-sign Al Farouk Aminu. Pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's that, that would be fall under what, what the parameters are here. I think the Blazers would be a little better, not much. Um, they're 14 and 16. Let's say they're 16 and 14 if they keep everybody. I think it's on Whiteside is a better option, even with all his limitations. And you guys, if he was in this podcast, you know that I don't think he's very good. But it, even with all his limitations, he's probably a better everyday option than Myers Leonard at center. And I think this hypothetical is interesting because I think the Blazers do miss the length and rebounding ability of Al Farouk Aminu and, and Mo Harkless on the wing. That just the wings they have now, but Kent Bazemore's just he's not a he's a two three and more of a two than he is a three four like those guys are. Um, they just they don't have that size and 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 Carmelo Anthony has been um, a useful part, but he's not the defender. Um, or really just the, the offensive rebounder that, that uh, Aminu and Harkless were. So I, I think they improved some of their weaknesses, um, but th- I don't think, if you assume that the injuries still happen the way they do when they lose Rodney Hood and Zach Collins, I think this team is marginally better, 16-14. and 14. But listen, how much better would you feel if this team was slightly above 500 than slightly below it? So perception is everything. This next question comes from KJM underscore B-Ball, at B-Ball KJM on Twitter, who asks... I've been surprised, excuse me, I've been super impressed with Damian Lillard's passing this year. What is it about the Trailblazers offense that creates fewer assists than other offenses? And if Dame played in one of those offenses, do you think his passing would get more respect? I kind of think Dame's passing does get respect from people who watch him. Uh, I, I know that that's kind of like a, a weird line to draw, but I do think that sort of the more 
plugged in national type guys. I don't know why I say it. Just like the, the people who are on T- TNT's television show don't watch the league that much, so they don't appreciate what Damian Lillard does. I don't think Chris Webber and Charles Barkley and Shaq watch a ton of the league. I don't think Reggie Miller watches a ton of the league. They certainly know a lot more about basketball than I do, but they're they're not as plugged in because it's hard to watch um, all 30 teams. It's just a hard thing to do. But I do think the sort of national type people like the... Um, I don't want to just peg analytics type guys, but even the Sam Amix of the world and uh, Jeff Ziglett, the guys who, who, who covered the league on a national level and maybe aren't as statistically inclined, understand that Damian Lillard controls the game, not with just with his scoring, but how he passes the ball. So to answer your other question, though, that's like, I went off. I got mad at TNT's broadcast crew. I apologize, KJM. You got me fired up. But what is it about the Trailblazers offense that creates fewer assists? It is, it's it's their, just their skill set. You pass the ball to CJ McCollum, he's going to take a bunch of dribbles and go score one-on-one. A lot of times, Damian Lillard's best option is to screen, get a re-screen, and pull up from 25 feet. Or just burst to the rim when guys don't help right on, uh, on pick and rolls. Uh, Damian Lord's a terrible lob, pa- lob passer, so he just doesn't throw alley-oops to Hassan Whiteside. And Damon CJ, because of the way that the Blazers want to do their spacing, if you'll watch, they kind of put them on opposite sides of the floor, so it's harder to help. If Dame's on the right, CJ will be on the left, or they'll run action where they're in the middle and then they split out to make defenses make decisions. But they don't do a lot of sort of off-ball cutting. They don't have a lot of off-ball stuff. I don't think Dame and CJ are particularly good cutters. So that means that when one of them has the ball, the other one is often watching. You add in Carmelo Anthony, who likes to work in isolation and out of the post. You got a bunch of your best offensive options, guys who don't get a ton of assists. The person who's going to get the most assisted buckets is probably Rodney Hood. He's hurt. Hassan Whiteside, but he's not as good. He's not a good enough pick and roll finisher where he's going to feast on assists. And even then, that's only one option in your starting lineup. Maybe maybe Kent Bazemore, who's shooting a little bit better, can have an uptick in assists. But I think the offense, because of the way they want to balance the floor and because of the the types of players that Damon CJ are, you get a low you get low assist numbers. They were really good last year, third in the NBA with low assist numbers. They're eleventh uh, in the league in offense right now with low assist numbers. So they can still be a above average or even very good offense. They're just uh, it's just how they work. They don't pass the ball that much. Okay, close out the show with this final question from George Allen at GeorgeAllen25 on Twitter. What's up, George? Who asks, well, to be honest, George asks several questions, so we'll take them one by one. First, what is the aspect of the NBA game slash universe that has changed the most since you began covering the league? So I started covering the league in 2014-15. I helped out I mean, I covered the full, started covering the league full time in 2014-15. I, in previous uh, roles at other companies, I covered some playoff games and some random NBA games here and there, starting about 2012, 2011, 2012. But for real, started covering it in 2014. I'd say the biggest thing that has changed is the the three point shooting has has been a massive uptick basically since that moment forward. Um, the 2015 season is really when Steph Curry started to um, go nuts, uh, and but but basically that 2014-15 year was was when the Warriors put their stamp on the world. So an obsession with three point shooting, um, a willingness to let everyone on the team shoot threes. That's the obvious one. 
But I think the the other big thing is um, the two. I'd say the two biggest things are uh, this emphasis on defensive versatility. It used to be who can you guard. That would how how you define players. Oh, you can guard threes. Okay, you're a three. You you can guard fours. Okay, you're a four. But now the thing like. The thing I'm really critical of Hassan Whiteside of is he he can only guard fives and he can guard you when as a help defender and whatever, but he can't he doesn't guard in space. It's hard to switch with him. Not every team in the league needs to be switchy. That's sort of this weird obsession that Golden State made uh, the NBA intelligentsia think is important. But being able to guard in space the way the league works now and that defensive versatility I think is a huge change. And the last thing I would say is fans access to to information and their and their willingness to think like a GM. Uh, I think early on when I started doing this, there was a the movement had happened and now seemingly 60% of fans have an idea of how the salary cap works and how trade exceptions work and all these there's just so much more information out there and I think the av- the, the not the average fan but the big time NBA fan is much more plugged into the minutia of how team building works. And George's second question, who are your fave five Blazers you've seen in person? And is Zebo the captain? Oh, man, Zach Randolph was so fun. Um, so is he the captain of my favorite five Blazers? Listen, he was when uh, George, you'll know when we first moved here, the Blazers were bad. Some 15 years ago. Uh, but Zach Randolph was the king of the kings of those bad teams before he handed the torch off to uh, to Brandon Roy. And by handed the torch off, I mean Brandon Roy stole the torch and Zach Randolph left. So five bla- five five blaze favorite Blazers I've seen in person: Andre Miller, Brandon Roy, Damian Lillard. We'll say we'll say Damian Lillard's playing two. Uh, Brandon Roy three, Zebo four, Nurk at the five. Probably give a shout out to Marcus Camby, whose tenure I really enjoyed. But yeah, I'd say those are my five. Andre Miller, Brandon Roy, Damian Lillard, Zebo, Nurk. Nurk at his best is incredibly fun. I think that's one thing that people have remembered this season. It's how good he was last year. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Monday Mailbag. I really appreciate all the questions. I love these episodes. I hope you do too. Thank you so much for all of you who submitted questions. If you want to get involved, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, send me your Blazers question whenever you're thinking of it, or wait for Monday morning when I solicit questions for the show, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, find me there, hit me up, I'll answer your question on the show. Do me one more favor, tell your friends about this podcast, keep it growing, keep Monday Mailbag happening, tell them they can find it wherever they already get podcasts, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon.